I don't know how you feel about the title of the message this morning, Behaving Badly in Church. I have already had someone said something to me about the title uh, if I was speaking about them. And uh, I certainly would never do that for 101 reasons. Uh, that's not scriptural. That's not biblical. James is putting the cookies where the smallest and the youngest child could get it. Let me introduce to you the message this morning with some words from a book I came across this past week written by David Jeremiah. He talks about, and this literally took place, he talked about Joel Engel, a Los Angeles-based author who writes frequently for the New York Times. Now, this was written in the New York Times. Considering the large crowd inside, the lack of voices startled me. Only a rustle of newspapers and the growling diesel engine broke the silence. Several well-dressed men stood in the aisles, so I assumed all seats were taken. But as I moved to the rear, I spotted an empty aisles, a seat on a double bench, and formed at once why it had remained unoccupied. The young man next to the window was breathtakingly ugly. His grotesque face apparently the victim of tumor. Yet it wasn't his face that made him so unappealing. His long, filthy, matted hair, tattered clothing, and other things. He was obviously homeless, and it was easy to guess why. He sat with his shoulders hunched and eyes fixed through the window. Truly the image of a beast forlorn and excruciatingly alone person. Nearly paralyzed by pity, I gave silent thanks that my young daughter wasn't with me asking her inevitable questions about him in a none-too-discreet voice or worse, uttering revulsion. But it was because of her that I finally sat down. The kind of men I want my daughter's fathers to be, to be sat, to sit on, on a bus next to someone whose only crime was extreme ugliness. I can't pretend I was relaxed. My shoulders and my arms scrunched involuntary and my entire torso leaned like a, a piece of like away from him. Continuing to stare out the window, he didn't acknowledge my presence. The bus made one stop before entering the freeway. Several peoples 
boarded, an elderly woman walked toward the rear. I waited to see if someone else was going to offer her a seat. None did. So I stood and motioned her, you may have my seat. No, I don't want to sit there, she said loudly next to him. Now this happened in a bus shelter, and, and I can tell you of, of my own experience in the, in the city of Chicago. Several years ago, I went to the Pacific Garden Mission, and, and I was speaking there. And after the meeting, a young man wanted to talk with me. And as I approached this young man, his smell was so horrible, I recoiled. And things rolled through my mind again and again and again until I was reminded, Winston, that's the way your sin is before God. I finally broke down and sat with this young man, welcoming him into my presence, not that he was privileged to be in mine, but that I was privileged to be in his. And in God's gracious act, he allowed me to lead that young man to Christ. Paul James is talking about behaving badly in church. That was Pacific Garden Mission. That was on a bus in New York City. James is talking about the church. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to James chapter 2 that was read to us by Tina this morning. And this message might be very difficult for us as it was for me because I cannot believe that the church behaves that way, but history attests differently. James is talking about partiality or distinctions. He's talking about the way we respond to people because of one thing or another. Grace, race, possession, power, press, whatever it might be. Here, it is distinction. And he, he, he begins by saying this from verse 2. For if a man comes into your assembly. The word assembly is the word from which we get our word synagogue. It is the place where they meet for sacred services, religious services. It was a place that was used by Christians and Jews as the church was beginning to be formed in that part of the world. And James uses a very interesting development with this text. He said, if a man comes, which he was speaking of the possibility of something happens. But if you read the text, you will find in other parts of the Bible that this was happening. And James is cautioning the church in Jerusalem, make sure it doesn't happen there. Some of you will remember Charles Sheldon's book, In His Steps, that was written several years ago with something similar to this in New York. Let's, let's take a quick run in the place of partiality. The place of partiality. The assembly, a church service. 
while the word can relate to any gathering, because an assembly was any kind of a gathering, but this was a specific gathering that Serenzi said, my brethren, if someone comes into your assembly or your church sitting, both Jesus, both Jesus, uh, Jews and Gentiles, came together for sacred services here. Today, we are referring to the visible, the visible location where God's people come to acknowledge God as their Lord, as their Savior, and so on. We call it church. And the word church, again, has various meanings. It is not simply, most of the times, we, we use the word for the location, the building. And that's what James has in mind here. The place where you meet, where you come. Not so much the, the church is inside the building, but the building is, is, is described as a church. And, and when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, Timothy, in case I do not come, I am writing to you so that you will know how you are to behave in the church of God. There is an art. There is a way we behave in church because we are God's people. So the place where James is seeking to prevent this from happening is not a bus stop. It's not a rescue mission downtown Chicago. It is wherever the people of God are meeting even at this very hour. We do not know what broken people will walk into the church. And they might come and they might sit in the place where you sit or where you used to sit <laughs> because if they're sitting there like this lady in the bus I don't want to sit beside them and may I suggest to you my dear friends that this happens with people who are people who are people it happens to me it happens to you I want to point out something to you that is very very important James is speaking in verse 2 based upon the foundation that is laid in verse 1. In verse 1, he says, Do not, do not hold, do not come together as God's people with a spirit of discrimination, distinction, partiality. That's the meaning of the word. Don't come to church like that. Now it is interesting, and I won't labor this too often, or too much. When he gives this caution, there's a reason he's giving it. Let me give you three reasons he gave, he gave it. Three reasons. Number one, in the book of Job chapter 1 and verse 7, Job chapter 1 and verse 7, he says this, when the sons of God came to present themselves to God, Satan also came. When the sons of God came to report to God, the devil also came. And let me suggest to you something, friends, that when you were getting ready to church, the devil would do all kinds of things to try to prevent you from getting there because you might hear something that will benefit you so that you become more like the God 
you love rather than what the devil wants you to become. So we never gather. We never gather together as God's people without Satan attempting to come there. And he will come in different ways. That's Job chapter 1 and verse 6. But then we get, we get to Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is sharing with the disciples for the first time that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he said, because of the reason for which I came into the world, I am going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. And Peter took him aside. And, and, and literally, Peter almost grabbed the Lord and said, that should never be. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Here, Jesus is revealing something of his unique intervention into human history and Satan is trying to prevent it from happening. So we never gather together but that Satan tries to intrude. The last reference is John chapter 13. The night before Jesus was betrayed. When he's going to introduce the communion to, this, to the disciples and for you and me. And the text tells us in verse 2 of John 13, at that point, Satan put into the heart of Judas. Imagine the communion service. This transition from the Old Testament to the New. The revealing of God's purpose in, in sending Christ into the world. The communion by which we would be knitted together, yet in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, we find the people coming together and Paul said, I cannot congratulate you for your coming together because you're not coming together for the good. You're coming together for the bad. Talking to God's people. And so my friends, what I'm saying to you and to me this morning, let us not be full of pride thinking, this doesn't relate to me. This doesn't relate to us. I remember there's a certain store here in town. I, I was listening to Alistair Begg, I said, um, and, and he said something. He said, I have to be careful now because this message is going out on the internet and I, I could be in trouble from, from people hearing. That's what I feel as well. Now I can't say things carelessly because someone would try to find out where 38200 location is. But there's a store in town. And if you have been there, you will know what I'm talking about. There's one of the cashiers there. Her face is just covered with all kinds of stuff. I don't know what it is. I don't know. But the first time I saw that lady at the cashier, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go there. And God rebuked me. The next time I went, I went right there because she was still there. It happens, my friends. The human heart is a heart, a mind that makes distinction of people by different things, different things. 
And I don't want to go into all this morning. The caution, the caution is when we are coming to church, we better prepare ourselves because Satan will do anything to prevent us from hearing what God has to say. He will do it in so many ways. Well, you get the message. That is the place of partiality, the place of distinctions, the place of discrimination in the church. Let me remind you, friends, that we cannot, the history of the church is this very thing, this very, very thing. I have told you of the Church of England the Anglican Church. When anyone that didn't have a lighter complexion would go to the Church of England in places like India and South Africa, they were forbidden to go. This is only a church for Europeans. So let us not be smug. I've told you <laughs> of being in Scotland and we went to a downtown historical church, Lois and I and Christopher went to this church and beautiful old building with all kinds of exquisite designs. And when we went there, there were little, there were little cubby holes. And it was an evening service, so those who purchased it weren't there. We were able to sit there. But if they were there, we would not be able to sit there because that section belonged to them. They paid. In fact, I discovered that some of them had keys that they locked at, and you were not allowed to sit there. Do you know why balconies were erected in churches? Balconies were erected so that the lower class people would go upstairs and not sit downstairs with the, the people like the men we're going to meet in a few minutes. I could go on. I could go on. I almost wept as I studied and did research as to the history of the church, what took place then. So here then we have now the presence of partiality. The presence. The place is the church. And how do we know when it is there? In our text, people are gathering. They're gathering for the purpose of a sacred service. As, they, they, as the people are gathering, they notice that certain people are coming in. And as they're coming in, they are observed by those who are a part of the church. And they saw, they saw, as the people are coming in, Someone, as James tells us, dressed in fine clothing, gold ring, dressed of fine clothing, and just behind him was a poor man in dirty clothing. The King James translation said in vile clothing, vile. I'll explain it in a minute. Let me, let me tell you how we know when partiality is present in a church. There is human comparison. Human comparison. We begin to judge people 
by their names, by their faces, by their grace, by their power, whatever it might be. Here is a man who came in, your translation said, wearing a gold ring. That's the text, you know, literally. It's a gold-fingered man. On certain fingers, he had six rings. And when he walked in, they saw that and thought, wow. You know, I, I think I mentioned where I was in, 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 in Canada. See, I, I'm afraid to say Toronto now. I'm saying Canada. So, you know, it's general. Nobody can say. But I remember someone said to me that a famous hockey player was planning to come to our church to be, to be, to be a part of the... Uh, the fellowship. And man, when I heard that, I just thought, wow, if he comes, if he comes, because he was a famous hockey player. And, and my heart as a, as a minister thought that he would give prestige to our church. Just think, he's on television and he scores goals. And when his name is mentioned as a goal scorer, I could say, he comes to my church. When we begin to make comparisons, we know that we are on the verge of becoming the kind of church that James, well, let me put it, we're behaving badly. And let me suggest to you again, That it is not what we do for people that comes. It is how we think of people. This is what James is telling us. Not what we do. James says we can give our bodies to be burned and yet not have love. It means nothing. But my friends, when the grace of God comes, we, we break down the barriers because his death did that. But when we begin to make comparison... His clothing. The word for fine clothing, you know what it is? Shiny clothing. You know, I, I, I put my clothes out last night to, to get the inspection. You know, to, to say, um, does, this, does this work? And I'm sitting in my study and I, I heard, uh, honey, you sure that's what you want to wear? I said, uh, I mean, the, if the inspector says it's not, it, it's, it's not. And uh, this is it. But she made sure that it was okay. Let me ask the question, why do I dress the way I do? Do I dress to make an impact on you, with me here and you there? God have mercy on me. I heard of one lady who said she dressed in front of the mirror and when she's convinced that she is dressed as she ought to, she now goes to glorify God with the way she's dressed. I love that. I love that. It's not to call attention. This man was in fine clothing calling attention to himself. I told you last week that there were shops where people could go <laughs> and rent rings or an occasion, and who knows if this is what that man was doing. 
he was dressed, like we used to say as a little boy, he was dressed to kill. And they just thought, wow, our church is really becoming something. Now look who's coming to our church. Biggest mistake we can ever make. So there was the man of affluence. And we looked at that man from his outward appearance, disregarding what God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. God looks not on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And when we, when we look at the outward appearance, in spite of the fact that God doesn't do that, we're in God's house, we're defying God. This is what James is going to bring out later on. There is a man of affluence, but was the man of antipathy. That word just simply means a man of revulsion. That's what the word to antipathy means. When they saw him, they were revolted at the way he was. They were behaving in God's house unlike God in his own house. That's why I say, my friends, we need, to, we need to come prepared to worship. But before we come to worship, let us check our attitudes at the door when we're leaving home. Let us check our attitude. As someone said, the devil's best opportunity to get us on our way to church is if we have young kids in the backseat of the car. <laughs> oh, my. Well, there are other ways. Someone who cuts you across on the way to church, some guy who did not signal properly, the, the, the littlest of things could get us. And when we come, we're in no mood to hear what God has to say because we'd like to get even with that guy. The Lord reminds us that his concern is not what we look like on the outside. It is what we are thinking of on the inside. That's how we will overcome human comparisons. But not only human comparisons, we have human conclusions. There, there was an immediate response to the man in, 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 in uh, fine clothing. He was shown respect. His affluence was his identity. The word was, you come and I'll take you to a nice seat. Reserved for people like you. In this building, in this church setting, they had footstools. And if you had a footstool, it means you had a little place that belongs to you. So he, he, he was directed, he was taken there. The ushers, as it were, took him to his seat. He was a privileged individual. But to the man, to the man... With the vile clothing, he would say, sit over there. <laughs> and if you can't find a seat over there, listen to me. Your version has the word, sit by my footstool. If anyone has the King James translation in here this morning, and I prefer this, this, this word, it says, sit under my footstool. Under my foot. You know what this man was being told? You are below my feet. That's the attitude. The man with the clothing, you are, you are par with me. You are no par with me. Sit under my feet. 
and the footstool was about six to seven inches off the floor. So how can anyone get under that? Simply this, with an attitude, you can be put anywhere anybody wants to put you. Doesn't matter where. Under. My thought of a, someone like you coming into our church, you are under our dignity. Oh, my friends. Please, please again. You know, this kind of a word can be quite frightening. To think that things like this happen right here in this country. John Piper is a favorite of mine. And he tells the story. He said, in 1962, my home church voted to allow no collards into the service. The rationale, as I remember, was that in the heated context of the civil rights era, the only collard would want would be, would be there for a political reason, which is not what the church is for. As I recall, my mother's lone voice on that Wednesday night service was to vote no to the motion. I could be wrong about that, but she does. She did vote no. And this, here's, here's what happened. In December of that year, that year, my sister got married. This was South Carolina. In December of that year, my sister got married in the church, and my mother invited Lucy, who was the gal who did their housework, invited Lucy and her family to come to church to the, for the wedding. And they came. I remember... Uh, an incredibly tense and awkward moment as they came in the door of the foyer, which, was, which must have taken an incredible amount of courage for them to do. Here it is. The ushers did not know what to do. One was about to usher them to the balcony, which had not been used since the church was built. My mother, all five feet, two inches of her, intervened and by herself took Lucy and her family arm in arm and seated them on the main floor of the sanctuary. The place of partiality. The Church of England would not take minors, people who came from the mines and so Wesley had to have services outside for them, which eventuated into what we know as the Methodist Church today. I can tell you of other things, friends. I don't need to go into it. But to realize that if we are not careful, we must not allow Satan to cause partiality. It might not be color. It might not be possession. It could be anything at all. But let us be careful that if God doesn't show partiality, neither do we. Lastly, the poison, the poison of partiality. Verse 4 of James chapter 2. Listen to how James put verse 4. And by the way, Lord's willing, I'll finish the rest of this to uh, verse 9 next week because there are two different sections in it. So in verse 4, he says this. You stand over there, you say to the rich man, and you say to the... To the uh, the poor man sit by my, my footstool or under my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? L listen to it. 
I call this the sharing of partiality. Have you not made distinction, not by yourself, but among yourselves? It means that there were people talking about what they would do, as those two ushers did in, in the church in South Carolina. The, the, the um, NIV has it, have you not discriminated among yourselves? You, 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 you are making distinctions and you are voting among yourselves that this is these kind of people we don't want in our church. The first part of this verse shows that it is possible to deny what scriptures say about God and yet to be claiming that God is the one to whom the church is built and the service the services are being done it should be appalling to have that spirit present in any church and to my knowledge friends it's not here but we don't know whom God is going to bring one of these days that it might not be complexion it might be something else what if that lady in that store should come here one Sunday and I see her? Will I go and greet her? Say, will you greet her? By the way, that's why we have Tina and, and, and Marlon at the door, and I hope that you support them in what they're doing. They're not only there to take up time, they're making people feel welcome when they walk into this church. The sharing of partiality, if someone wants to bring something like that to you, immediately rebuke them, immediately. Don't let that poison march through because, friends, by nature, that's what we are. And Jesus Christ died to break down those barriers. The seriousness of partiality. The seriousness. The second part of verse 4. And look, look at what James says. When have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives. I'm going to give you verse 9 and that verse. First, it is evil. It is evil. Partiality is evil. It is not found in God because there's no evil in God. It is, call, it is called sin in verse 9. So that's the seriousness of it. If it's evil and it is sin, can anything be more deadly than these two things in our church? Or in the church. Something that is evil. We are perpetuating it by communicating its acceptance with one another. James said it is evil. And the word evil there is, is, is more than something that is bad. The word evil is talking about the perniciousness of the thing. It has a, it has a negative reaction from God. As all evil. In fact, the scripture says that God hates evil. Imagine behaving like this in church and believing that God is pleased with it. Then he says it is sin. The word sin there means to miss the mark. And James is saying, we sin in that the whole purposes of God for the church is missed by your behavior. You're behaving badly. And God will have no part of it. Jesus Christ died on the cross to get rid of such behavior. 
our behaviors, I should say. And you and I as believers, my friends, have been set free. That's why we were singing Amazing Grace this morning. I have been set free. Free to make decisions, not based upon distinctions of people, but to claim God's grace and love in my heart so that everyone who walks through the doors of this church will feel welcome, not only by Tina and Marlon, but by everyone else. That's what God has called us to be. My friends, that's what the world is fighting for right now. I mean, if you listen to the, to the, to the rhetoric that is being done with race relationship in this country, it is frightening. But friends, that's not the problem. Let me close with this. The real problem is the problem of the heart. And when the grace of God reaches the heart, changes take place. And when changes take place, it should take place for the better, not for the worse. Will you pray with me? Father, speaking your word, I pray would have been your word alone. And I pray that nothing was said from this pulpit that dishonors the God it proclaims. Nothing was thought in our minds that would dishonor the God we worship. And if perchance, our God, there should be someone for whom this is a challenge, may the grace of God cause that person right now to call upon you for help. And my friends, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, there is no telling what you can think about other people. But when the grace of God has you under its grip, you will hear the words of Jesus Christ. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you.